welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. So there you are. You are surrounded by thousands of people. You have somehow muscled your way to the front of the crowd. You've been biding your time. You're trying to strategize how to seize the moment. And finally, it is there. There's a, there's a pause in the conversation. Uh, you have his attention. It's your one shot. Ask him anything. The most important thing on your mind. Teacher, will you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Now, I feel bad because we don't know very much about this guy, right? Uh, All we know is that according to him, he is the victim of a very grave injustice. His father is dead. His brother has somehow availed himself of all or most of the uh, estate. And it is just not Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And you can imagine that this has really been eating at this guy. I mean, he's been stewing in his mind. He's been mulling it over. He's been trying to figure out how do I leverage. I I mean, this might have been the whole reason he made the trip to see Jesus in the first place. I mean, you know, Jesus is about taking care of the stuff that gets in the way from us experiencing abundant life, right? Jesus is all about, you know, helping you live your best life now. So, teacher, tell my brother, buy the inheritance with me. And I love the confidence that he comes in with, right? It's like he is, sure. there's no explanation, no background. It's just this sense of righteous indignation. Surely Jesus is going to take my side of this thing. I deserve that. I need that inheritance. If I only I had my share of the inheritance. Think of the stuff I could do. I could buy a house. I could buy furniture. I could send my kids to college. Imagine his disappointment. Jesus looks at him and says, Man, who made me judge and arbiter between you? Jesus, of course, is not going to get dragged into the squabble. He is not going to become an expert witness uh, in, in this guy's lawsuit against his brother over a couple of denarii here or there. And it's not because he doesn't care about fairness and justice. It's just this whole thing has been wrong from the beginning. Jesus isn't going to help this guy win the wrong argument. Jesus said to the crowd, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. 
See, it turns out ultimately this guy's problem isn't with fairness and justice. This guy's issue is with greed. He was convinced that if only he had that money and everything would get taken care of. And of course, that, now that Jesus is definitely going to address today. And he does it with a story. He does it with a parable, with an imaginary garden with a real toad in it. Jesus tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? Got no place for all this grain. No place to store my crops. The protagonist in Jesus' story here has what these days we would call a first world problem. Too much grain, nowhere to put it. These days, Jesus was telling the story to our culture. I think he would have started with a certain rich man that had a really good year in the market, looked at his portfolio and said, Oh no, I'm not diversified enough. But not fear. The man, after the moment of panic, subsides. He gathers himself. He comes up with an idea. He comes up with a plan. I know what I'll do. I will call my finance guys and have them get me into some different, you know, stocks, bonds, funds, precious metals. That's, that's where the real safety lies. Go back to the gold standard. The future. And then, I'll be set up. I will be safe. No matter what happens. Now, uh, before we get too far into this whole parable thing here, I think it's probably worth taking a moment to consider who it was that was actually hearing Jesus say this uh, uh, the first time, listening to this parable. At first glance, my immediate assumption is that Jesus is telling this parable as a warning to all them rich folk out there with too much grain and not enough barns. You know, those people out there. But then, actually, I was talking to Colleen about this passage uh, over the last couple weeks. And she actually pointed out to me that, in fact, his audience that day was most likely more on the modest to poor side of the financial spectrum. You see, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, tells us that thousands of people were gathered to listen to him that day. So many that they were actually trampling over each other. And there's a couple things that we know about crowds of thousands, right? I mean, first of all, just by the sheer law of probability, in any large crowd, most of the people in the crowd are going to be on the lower side of the economic spectrum. That's just how 
economics work, right? One percenters are called one percenters because they, you know, they make up one percent of the population at large. But more than just simple probability, there is also the fact that one thing that has always been true of the wealthy is that the wealthy do not hang around with the masses, especially masses that are trampling each other. You see, wealth buys exclusivity. Case in point, uh, when Jesus was on the way to be crucified, uh, Luke chapter 23 tells us that along the road they take him to Herod. Herod was the pretend king of Jerusalem those days. He had purchased the kingship of Jerusalem. And Luke 23, 8 tells us that Herod was excited to see Jesus because he had heard so much about him. He was hoping that Jesus would do some sort of miracle. Which means that in all the time that Jesus had spent in Jerusalem, and all the times that Jesus had wandered throughout the area, being the most famous person on the planet, Herod had never taken the time to go see or hear Jesus. Because, of course, Herod was a wealthy, influential person. And wealthy, influential people don't go to see other people. No, 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 no. Other people come to see me. So while I'm sure that there were definitely some wealthy people sprinkled around in the crowd, the vast majority of folks that Jesus is talking to that day most likely had never had to worry about what to do with all their grain. I think it's important to feel that because it pushes against our assumption that money is only a problem for the rich. This idea that the only people that struggle with greed or putting their hope in money are the rich people out there who have so much of it that they, that they worry about where to put it all. And it's important for us to realize that because, you see, very few of us would ever identify as rich, right? Your kid comes up to you uh, and says, Dad, are we rich? And there's something inside of you that doesn't say yes, right? I mean, I know I feel that. Even though, you know, in the grand spectrum of the world, we are the one percenters of the world. And it's just a financial fact. And yet, there's just something in me that doesn't want to say, yes, I am, we are wealthy. Don't like the way it sounds. It sounds presumptive. It sounds arrogant. And, you know, that it's probably right. It's probably a good thing to not want to say that. But the byproduct that, uh, of that, though, is that we will tend to hear all of Jesus' teachings towards the rich, the wealthy, and automatically assume he is talking to someone else. Oh, this pretentious rich guy that is... Worried about where to put all his grain. He sure has a problem with money. 
But when you realize that Jesus is telling this story not to warn people against putting their hope for joy and peace and enjoyment and the money they do have, but to warn them against putting their hope for joy, peace, and enjoyment in the money they don't have. Well, now, all of a sudden, we're all invited to the party here. You see, few people have a problem spending too much time obsessing with figuring out what to do with the money that they already have. But it's really easy for all of us to spend too much time and energy dreaming about what we could do if we had that money. And it is precisely this that Jesus is warning us against today. It's amazing how deeply ingrained in our psyche this conviction is that people that really have it good are the people that have more money than we do. We hear the story about the guy that had so much grain, he had to build bigger barns. And inside of us, there's something that kind of clicks and says, well, that would be a nice problem to have, wouldn't it? Of course, we convince ourselves that if it were us, you know, we, we wouldn't build bigger barns. No, we would take all that extra grain and we'd give it to, you know, hungry people that need it. That's, cause that's just what we would do if we had all that extra Grain. But what we miss in that equation is what this guy has given up for those barns and the grain that is in them. What this guy has given up is living. Because you see, it wasn't until he had the bigger barns built that he was going to be able to say to himself, Self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat and be merry. In his mind, freedom to enjoy life was based and contingent on the safety and security that he felt in his wealth. Without the wealth, just couldn't relax. Just couldn't find the space to eat, drink, and be merry. It's the old sales pitch from the multi-level marketing you know, spectrum. And frankly, it's, it's the same sales pitch that we get from the retirement industry today. Starts with, wouldn't you like to be free to enjoy what you really want to do in life? Here, step into this program, step into this Fun, step into this here, invest here. And if you follow the program, the little green arrow that goes through the neighborhood up and down, eventually, if all goes well, uh, you will have enough to take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, and relax. It's very easy for our concerns about finances and financial-related subjects to distract us from being able to be present to our life. It keeps us from being present to our children, from being present to our spouse, to our friends, to the needs of the hurting people around us. We get so wrapped up dreaming about how much good we can do when we have enough money. It keeps us from being able to do any good 
today. Really, it distracts us from being able to live. Because it's hard to live when you are up nights worrying about how you're going to pay for your kid's college or how you're going to pay for retirement or how you're going to pay for your rent this month or what's going to happen when your kids, you know, grow out of those tennis shoes again. It's like, can't they just pick one shoe size? Like, what? Just, just settle on a foot size that your foot is going to be and just tell me what that is and so I can buy those size shoes. Maybe that's just a problem with my kids. And none of this, of course, is to downplay how stressful it is when, in fact, you don't have money to cover the basic necessities of life. What I think Jesus is reminding his listeners here and us is that people with a lot of money, they stay up late nights worrying about their money too. Just like people who don't have a lot of money do. If our hope for safety and joy and peace and contentment and significance in life is connected to a more money scenario, we will always be stressed regardless of how much money we have. And we will always be looking to the future. We will perpetually miss out on life which can only be lived today. And more than that, we will be completely unprepared for eternity. Which is ironic to think about the fact that the one future evil that money can do absolutely nothing to prepare you for or protect you from is in fact the one potentiality that you are guaranteed to have happen to you. Namely, death. And so Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body and what you will wear. And right here is where we disconnect. That's where we tune out. This is where all of our conviction about the inerrancy of Scripture just kind of falls apart. Because surely Jesus doesn't really mean that. Like, surely it's got to mean something else in the Greek or something. Can we look behind here? He can't. Maybe, he's, maybe it means, like, don't worry too much, right? A little worry. Worry in good measure is responsible. Worry in good measure, that's, that's the reality of living in a dog-eat-dog world. He can't mean don't worry at all. Jesus goes on. Life is more than food. And the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life. Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So it kind of seems like he really does mean do not worry. 
Jesus started addressing greed, and now he's on to worry. And when you think about it, they, the two have a lot in common. They are firmly placed in what we do not have and what we cannot control. Greed focuses on what I, do, I don't have yet and I cannot get. Worry focuses on what hasn't happened to me, but might happen to me, and I cannot control. And they actually, when you, you look at it, they really feed on one another. We worry about what might happen if we lose our job. So we wish that we had more money. So if it happens to us, then we'll be okay because we'll have all that money to fall back on. And I get angry at other people who seem to have what I don't have and they're not doing what I think they should be doing with it, which mostly is giving some of it to me. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me or my partner or, you know, fill in the blank. And around and around we go. And no, Jesus isn't saying here that we don't go to school. Sorry, kids. That we don't plan or save for the future. That we don't go to work and we don't contribute to anything. Jesus isn't going there at all. He's not saying, oh, just be lazy. He's simply teaching us to put clothing and food and housing in their proper place. They are part of life, yes. But they are not life. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. It's an interesting thing that I notice about beach houses. Uh, most of you know, my wife and I, family, we lived in Southern California for the last 10 years, and as part of living in Southern California, you are obligated, it's contractually obligated to go to the beach. Uh, and we did so as little as, as, as possible, but we did go. And, and the thing you notice about Southern California beaches is that they, they are in very populated, inhabited, like they're in the middle of the city. And so you, you go to the beach, and lining all the beaches are these beach houses, which are these gorgeous things with these massive picture windows all facing the ocean, and there's just these amazing structures that are glorious. And yet the thing about beach houses that you, you notice is that most of them are empty, most of the time. Like you rarely see people living life in these beach houses. And I tell you, you would see it because they're all made out of glass because, of course, you want to be able to see the ocean from the beach house. So there's no hiding anything at these places. But it's very rare to see people actually living in these houses. Because, of course, the kind of work that you have to do to make the amount of money that you have to make to own one of these houses in the places that they are means that you rarely have any time to actually be at the house that 
you own to enjoy the beach that you wanted to enjoy. And it's a fascinating contrast to see, you know, in the backdrop, these glorious uh, houses. And then in front of them, in the beach in front of them, you see the little kids and the families that are, they don't live at the beach. A lot of them ride the bus to get to the beach. When they get there, they park, they're going to spend the whole day there. And they're out there having a blast. You know, you got the, the little kids with the diaper, but the diaper is now soaked with, with beach water. And so they're sagging around and they're going and they're just, every sand is just everywhere. And the you know, moms are reading and taking a nap and kids are boogie boarding in the beach. And, this is, and they're just having a blast. Actually enjoying the beach without having to own any of it. And this is what I see Jesus pointing out in the birds and the flowers. True, they don't own anything, but they enjoy everything. Not that the key to freedom and joy in life is to not own anything. Again, most of the people that Jesus is talking to, their problem isn't the stuff that they own. The key to freedom and confidence and joy in life is to trust that God loves you. To trust that God thinks that you are worth more than some birds. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you you little faith. It's nice that he throws that in there. Because it, again, God's care for you is not dependent on you believing in him enough. Right? God's care for you is, he already knows that we are people of little faith. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. See, the good life that we are hoping that will come when we finally have a million dollars. It's actually available to us now. From our father who really cares for us and is always employing his limitless power and inexhaustible resources to secure what is in our best interest. We don't have to wait until we have enough, till we retire, till our investments mature. The pagan world runs after all this stuff because they, they don't trust in God. In their perspective, in the pagan perspective, God is this fickle God who is actually kind of trying to cheat us out of stuff. And that is what we do when we run around trying to secure all this stuff for ourselves. We are stating in no uncertain terms that we do not trust God's goodness to us. We think that God is one of those fickle gods of pagan myth. Or we think that God is like the unpredictable market out there. We have to hedge against it. We have to diversify Just in case, you know, God might not show up. 
And I get it. I mean, we worry, we fear, we covet and dream about what it would be like if we just had more. Because that's what the world has trained us to do. It is actually quite difficult to think about what we would do with our life if we didn't worry. Like, really. Like, all that energy that I spend worrying about stuff. Like, what would I do with it? And just trying not to worry that the world is, you know, is going to run us over and then stick it in reverse and run us over again and so on and so forth. I mean, that doesn't work either. Our mind needs something else to do. We need something else to focus on, something else that will train us to view the world not as the rich guy with too much grain and not enough barns did, but to train us to see the world, the birds and the flowers of the field do. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. See, Jesus isn't saying, just sit around and do nothing, be nothing, pursue nothing, care about nothing, but be detached and zen about life. No, Jesus is inviting us to a life of full engagement. A life where you wake up every morning with purpose and vision. A life where your main concern is not what you don't have, but the fact that you are alive in the reality of the kingdom of God. A kingdom where the enjoyment of life is right there in front of you, where everything you need for life is in the hands of a trustworthy God, a life that fully engages in the present and completely prepares you for eternity. It is life in the reality of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, food and clothing and shelter and more, it all comes included. But not just for me. For everyone else as well. It's the same with life. Life and peace and joy and significance is not just for those who have enough stored up in their barns. For those who have saved enough for the future. Life is available now for everyone. So do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes in. No moth destroys. For ultimately, where your treasure is, there your heart will also Would you pray with me? So, Father, we see your goodness. We have experienced enough of it to, to not doubt it. We are just so used to feeling like we have to scrounge for ourselves. We're just so accustomed to being in competition with others for the scarcity of the resources of this world that we just have not adjusted to your goodness. 
We have not adjusted to your love for us. We had not adjusted to the realization that we matter to you more than the birds and the flowers of the field. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would um, cement that truth in our hearts. We live in an uncertain world, but we don't have to depend on the uncertain world. We can depend and believe in you. And your faithfulness can be the foundation for our freedom and we can be free to live today, now, in this moment. Praise in Jesus' name.